Well, with five-star Elijah rushing in the fold, Oregon has a top 10 class, number six in the country. Can they get to top five? We're going to answer that question today. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. And thank you for being patient. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review. Please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Brian Smith, our locked on recruiting insider here at the Locked On Podcast Network, joining me on today's show. Let's get straight to it, Brian. Elijah Rushing, how did this happen? What does it mean for the Ducks? They stayed on the player they wanted. And like I've told you a hundred million times on this show, it's about relationships. And that's the one thing Lanning and his staff completely excel with. And that's why they got it done. Arizona is pretty good. You and I were like talking about that recently. They're, you know, they've done a nice job there. Beat the number still, 11 team in the country on Saturday. Jed Fish is doing a really good job. Yes, he is. Uh, I'm curious, you know, all the backstories to it, but I just think it's because of Oregon's relationships with them and they're winning. They've ascended that program a little faster than I would guess even you thought they would. I don't I don't know. I haven't asked you that, but I'm guessing that's also a major reason here. I haven't spoken to the young man or his dad, but they made it clear that winning was a big deal with where they went when he decommitted from University of Arizona. But Oregon is right now number six in the playoff rankings. Got a chance to make the playoffs. That's definitely better than where Arizona's at. So that's the other major reason. Yeah, and I think that the winning is is a great factor to have in Oregon's favor because it's certainly more fun to win than it is to lose. And you also recruit <laughs> good players because you want to win more games than you lose. That's certainly the objective. Uh, I actually thought Jed Fish was going to have a seven-win team this year, and I look, dare I say, sharp in having predicted that before the season. I thought they'd beat Oregon State. I think they might beat Utah down in Tucson later this year as well. We're just going to have to wait and see how everything uh, plays out. But this has catapulted Oregon's class into uh, the number six spot on the 24-7 sports composite rankings. And there are still names out there the Ducks are chasing. Can this be a top five class, Brian? Why could it not? There's always going to be a few flips at the end. Let's say the Ducks add one more player. Just one more, but it's a four-star, and it's a quality player. You're going to be on the fringe because once you get into that top five, six, it's pretty narrow margins. Georgia's the only one that separated themselves. They're going to end up number one. But after that, it's pretty easy to see any of those teams moving around with one D commitment, with one kid added, et cetera, maybe both, depending on the situation. Oregon can end up at number three, and it would not surprise me at all. Would they have to land another kid like a Jericho Johnson to get there, would they have to get him and Jason Brown, the, the the running back out of Washington? Would you need more than one player to get uh, to get to a top five class? This, by the way, is the highest ranked class Oregon has ever had from a national ranking standpoint. The 2021 class, the best in program history, was number six in the country. So if they go any higher, it'd be the highest ranking. I think, you know, it can get kind of fidgety with the, the, the numbers and everything uh, like that. But it, they've never had a top five recruiting class. 
But you're saying that if, you know, Jericho Johnson, who they're in the mix for, and Jason Brown, are those two guys enough to put the Ducks over the top, barring, you know, major flips and decommitments come signing day in December? Well, there's always going to be the things you just mentioned. Uh, so that's, I, I've just been around this too long. I always joke with friends, decommitments are getting ready to happen. It's November. November 1st, it's like a red light goes over my house. Decommitment season. Flip season. Whatever phrase you want to use, November 1st, it starts every year. So I don't know which team or teams it will be that has the most, but I have a feeling that Oregon will benefit. Because I think for the most part, the kids that have committed to Oregon, I mean, they, they might lose somebody. But if you've made this commitment to Oregon and almost all of them are going out of state to do it, they know where they want to go. Like they would have already jumped ship. So I think Oregon's class is pretty steady. Uh, again, as soon as I say that, of course, in six hours, somebody will decommit because that's just how that works. But in all honesty, there's a lot more going on in my neck of the woods in Florida, all the way up to like the east. It's just a lot more volatile. Why that is, it's competition, more teams here, I'm guessing. But Oregon may benefit from other teams just imploding with a couple of key guys more than anything else as far as rankings go. And again, they're going to add somebody. It's just a matter of who. So I'm, I'm not worried. Like if you had Jason Brown or something like that's great, but they may not even have to add anybody to move up. It's very possible. I want to bring this back to Elijah rushing for just a moment and kind of get your breakdown of what he brings to the table. Five-star edge prospect. He joins Aiden Breland as the five-star defensive lineman and the only five stars overall that Oregon has recruited in this 2024 cycle. What do you see from Elijah rushing? What makes him worthy of, of all five of those stars being next to his name coming out of high school? Length, bend, explosion, those would be three of the superlatives. And he's a kid that's not anywhere near his max potential in terms of power. He's going to be able to run through some guys later on after he gets through a year or so of the Duck strength and conditioning program. So not only is he a high upside kid right away, he's a high upside kid down the road too. Uh, he could play on third down on seven as a freshman, no problem. He would find a way to make some plays. After he gets a little more strength and whatnot, he can be a first and 10 player and maybe even be a starter for the Ducks as a sophomore, despite them having about 100 defensive linemen, it seems like, on their roster. So he's, he's really good, man. Is, is he somebody who you think is a lock to start as a freshman? Because we've seen three true freshmen at his position, the defensive end. And is that where you think he plays edge, defensive end, that kind of spot? Uh, short term, for sure. I mean, how big do they want him to get and all that? He could end up at strong side end, but based on his frame, I don't think he's an inside guy unless it's a NASCAR package and it's third and eight. Right. Third and eight. I mean, you, it's crazy. You'll see teams line up a strong safety as the outside pass rusher. You know, teams don't care. If you run, go ahead. You can get five, six yards. You're still punting. So you see all kinds of things. You could see him in that, but otherwise he's just going to be an edge guy. He's, he's too athletic and in a critical position. Why would you move him away from that? Gotcha. So, you know, Mateo Uyunglele, Blake Purchase, Tatum Tuioti, all mm -hmm. true freshmen that are making a real impact. Like they, they aren't just yes. on the field. They are making an impact. They're hitting quarterbacks, making tackles for loss. They have all at different points of time. I mean, you know, just off the top of my head, Tatum Tuioti batted down a pass on fourth down against Washington State. Blake Purchase had uh, a sack last week, or at least a, a quarterback hit against Utah. Mateo has had a couple sacks and and a couple tackles for loss uh, as well. Is that the sort of impact level you expect rushing to have when he gets to campus next year? It's interesting that you mentioned that. A lot of it is just timing. 
he's coming behind a group that you just mentioned that's really good. And if I remember correctly, there are 10 total D linemen in that class, which is the craziest number Correct. I've ever heard. Um, it's going to be hard just to make an impact just because there's only so many snaps. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. If any of those guys are going to move inside some, Louis Ungolay could probably play three tech if you wanted him to. He's really strong, but again, he's perfect for strong side edge. Yeah, I would is. leave him there. I would leave him there. And again, you can move inside for pass rush, but he's going to have to earn his way talking about rushing because Oregon is loaded on the edge. Mm-hmm. As the saying goes, though, this is a good problem to have. One guy gets banged up, a guy gets suspended, whatever. It's not a matter if the player coming into the game is good. It's just a name on the jersey because you know they're all good. It'll take care of itself, but he's not going to just walk in and play with that group. He's got to earn it. So, And I also respect him. It's not like he didn't look at the class. Well, I, I don't care if Oregon signed anybody last year. They all look and see how many guys are at their spot. They can tell you otherwise. They know. So he doesn't mind the competition, which is also a very good sign for rushing in his future. He's a mature young man. That's a good thing to hear. And I think that there are a lot of promising defensive linemen. One, one of them is certainly uh, Aiden Breland, who, who might be, depending on what you know uh, Brian thinks, still playing a factor for Oregon on the recruiting front. What am I talking about? Well, I'm not talking about prize picks, except I am now, because they're the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports is just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and then you watch the winnings roll in. With basketball season here, Oregon basketball, by the way, plays their first game in Vegas against Georgia on Monday. Curious to see how that plays out, but certainly we're in the heart of football season, and you can bet everybody that you want there, but you could combine basketball and football props. You could do LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a combo of 10 and a half three-pointers made plus receptions. You can do all sorts of fun stuff over there, and they offer a reboot policy, so your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured which is why you should go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college use that code locked on college for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. all right brian let's keep things going here i didn't mean to click my name up for those watching on youtube but i think we'll all survive Aiden Breeland is the other five-star defensive lineman the Ducks have. The first one they got just before the Washington game. He he and rushing, you know, are, you know, kind of the crown jewels, I guess you'd say, of, of this recruiting class. I think there are a lot of good players in there, but certainly it's a testament once more. Orange Gatorade, Brian, we got to be getting you to yellow. Yellow, yellow Gatorade, not, not the orange here on Locked On Ducks. But anyway, uh, Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning have shown they can recruit defensive linemen at a high, high level. And that's what you need to build a championship level defense. And frankly, I think they've got one right now. But this question came in from Blazer Duck. Mailbag, always open YouTube comments or Twitter. If you want priority access, become a Locked on Ducks insider at uh, Locked on Subtext, which is subtext.com slash Locked on Ducks. This question came in. Question for Brian. That's you. I read that Breland is working to flip Nate Frazier and or Brandon Baker from Georgia and Texas. What have you heard? What are our realistic chances? Do you think distance playing from home might factor in as signing day approaches? Thanks. Brian, you may take it away. With modern day kids, I don't think distance is as big a deal. Here's how this works. Modern day, one could argue in the last 40 years, is the most productive high school program in the nation. 
uh, Bruce Rowlandson, who's recently retired, arguably, arguably the greatest high school coach there is, who pre- prepared his kids to go anywhere. They traveled. They did all kinds of things. The distance, not as big a deal for those kids. And Cali kids are leaving anyway. That being the case, they just look at it from a business standpoint more often than not. They're very, very advanced. I would not be surprised in the least if any of them went to a different school, but it won't be distance. Oregon, though, is the one school now that has replaced SC as kind of the mainstay at that school. So that's another point to look at. Would I be surprised? No. You know the depth chart at Oregon better than I, but those kids aren't going to worry about that either. They they play at modern day. They don't care. They're not going to fear competition. And like Frazier committed to Georgia, they have depth everywhere. <laughs> so it's just a matter of where he wants to go. That's a comfort deal, man. Same deal uh, with the offensive linemen. There could be NIL thing there. Maybe Texas offered him more. They pay a lot for their O-linemen, but he's not afraid of competition. And Oregon's done really well with their offensive line. Sewell going in the first round obviously helps those kinds of things. This is still going to end up being a comfort deal though. If Lanning and those guys really want to go after anybody, they do a great job. We'll just kind of have to see, but do not be surprised if there's some action right around December 20th for the ducks. Speaking of Panay Sewell, by the way, just a quick tidbit I saw from PFF. He is one of just three linemen in the entire NFL with a run and pass blocking grade over 80. And everyone was, trying to talk themselves into why he wasn't going to work going into the draft, which kind of happens with a lot of Oregon pro prospects. Um, I, I actually, I want to ask you about that, Brian. We heard it with Justin Herbert. Well, I don't know if he's a leader. I don't know if he's this and that. And the other thing we're all like, mm, no, I'll give him a proper offensive coaching staff and a decent system. He's going to be really, really good. Guess what? He's really, really good. Kayvon Thibodeau. Mm, I don't know if the effort is there. Get three sacks. Last week and last year on Monday Night Football, he completely dominated the game. Well, Panay Sewell, I don't know about him. And he's just an absolute stud. Is this just a coincidence that each of those three Oregon top draft picks have all been compared to other guys who were taken, picked apart, really? That's an interesting discussion. They're going to get less attention because of the time zone. That's not something Oregon can fix. Like a lot of the people that cover this, they're not staying up. They're not doing it. So they're not going to evaluate the kid that I evaluate in Alabama or Georgia or Florida or whatever at the college level the way they do the Oregon kid, in lifetime at least. That's just the way it is. Um, I always thought it was kind of odd about Thibodeau in particular. And he, you know, he'd been banged up. He missed that Ohio State game and Oregon still won, by the way, that which was kind of weird. Oh, we remember. We remember. Trust me, we remember. And it's just interesting because you look at those games, like he – dominated in some really big games and can't teach the length and the athleticism and all that. NFL's a projection with really good coaches anyway. I I was surprised that he didn't go in the top three, but uh, obviously he's making the best out of it and he's made a lot of money anyway. I'm guessing that his free agent contract will be very, very handsome. I, so. I suspect that it will because premier pass rushers are at a premium. Oh, yeah. It's a premium position in the NFL, and they are hot on the market. If you've got – I mean, Chase Young just went to the 49ers, and you know, I, I just look around the league and go, mm, yeah, you can make a pretty good amount of money there. And I think Thibodeau's uh, well on his way one day to, to doing that. Last thing for you today, Brian, before we get you out of here, uh, this mailbag question came in from the subtext community. How does going into the Big Ten affect recruiting kids mm-hmm. out west? What about Hawaii? I think this is a fascinating question because you're now playing fewer games in that footprint and in a time zone that allows them 
to easily watch. I guess you're a little bit more viewable to a national audience when you're in, you know, the Big Ten footprint and playing out in the middle of the country. But, you know, specifically the Hawaii question, I think, is, is an interesting one. But how do you see that playing out once the Ducks go to the Big Ten next year? I actually think it'll help because here's the problem for any kid in Hawaii. There is no West Coast Conference now. There isn't going to be one. Your closest option is the Big 12. And not many well, of the Big the 12 po- at the power level, like the Mountain West will yeah. still be there or whatever becomes but, of the Pac-2. I think you've kind of answered like they don't have options. Nothing's really changed for them in terms of like where the schools are. It's just they're going to have to keep some odd schedules to watch some of these games. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I, you know, they're going to be traveling more. They may not like it, but they don't get a say in it. And Hawaii is a long, long way just from San Diego or LA, let alone Chicago or Columbus, Ohio. So the Ducks will still benefit. They'll still get some of those kids. They always have Mar- Mariota, et cetera. That's not going to change. And I guess in a way it's kind of cool for the kids too. They get to see some of the things they wouldn't otherwise. And you can still be somewhat close to your parents for a flight, although there's no short one. Right. Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider. Great stuff as always. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Always a great time with Brian. Love his insight. I know you guys do as well. I, again, appreciate you all being patient on today's show. It was so that Brian could be on uh, a Thursday show rather than a Friday one, which uh, I have a guest coming on tomorrow to talk all about the California Golden Bears. So uh, make sure you tune into that to get ready for this showdown with Cal. Back into the mailbag we go. Again, YouTube comments or Twitter, subtext available too. Subtext number's been going up a little bit, which I very much appreciate. You get priority priority mailbag. You can talk with me one-on-one. And you get all my news reaction in real time as it happens. So you can go over there uh, at subtext.com slash locked on ducks. This question from Peyton. I have two questions to ask. I have two answers as always. Is this the best recruiting class you've seen at Oregon or at least the best defensive class too? What is Washington's problem lately? Seems after us, they've been struggling lately. And if there's something teams have exposed that we can use if we make it to the conference championship. So, Washington's problems all start there. I talked with our Locked On Huskies host, Roman Tomashoff, who was on this show uh, you know, before, before the Husky game a, a couple weeks ago. He has echoed what the coaching staff has, has said publicly. This is not private off the record or anything like that. Like This has been a publicly documented ordeal by the staff, and that's that they've had the flu bug going around, and he said that Michael Penix looked healthier earlier this week than he has in many, many weeks. You can make of that what you will. I think there's an element of Washington's defense not being, you know, as good as Oregon's coming to, you know, catch up to them a little bit. You saw that against Stanford. I mean, the Cardinal are an improved team. They shouldn't have been able to score 33 points, even at the farm like that. That should not have happened. And if Oregon played Stanford today, would Stanford score more than six? Probably. Would they score more than 14? I don't think so. So, I feel that, you know, the defense is a part of it. And then Arizona State has got a really good defensive coordinator in Brian Ward. That guy is sharp. Our old friend Dillingham has really done a good job hiring a good staff, particularly at the defensive coordinator slot. Brian Ward's a great hire. What he found is that if you blitz Washington up the middle, the interior of their offensive line has some holes. Now, their center is very good, but it's their two guards that I think are the weakest components of their O-line. 
and Oregon got, you know, some pressure uh, up front and some pressure against the Huskies, I would look to see that more if we do face them again against uh, or in the Pac-12 championship game, rather. Expect to see a lot of A-gap pressure from Jamal Hill and Jeffrey Bossa and Justin Jacobs and those sorts of guys, because that's schematically what Arizona State did that not everyone had really done or seen before against the dogs that worked really well and got them out of rhythm. And I think Penix was also not playing at his best. He was missing throws that he usually makes. Like open Roma Dunze on or Roma Dunze on, on a 10 yard out route. And Penix is just missing him. That lends credence to the idea that, okay, they might've actually been sick. We'll see. Watch how they play against USC this week. That'll give us, I think the best idea of whether or not they're going to get back to what they were before the Oregon game or whether or not they peaked and they're still good, but they're not at that same level, at least, you know, with four games to go in uh, the season. What about the other question? Is this the best class ever? That's a complicated answer. It's a simple answer though, to go to FanDuel for all your gambling needs, because you could score early this NFL season with FanDuel America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. So if you go out and put $5 on the money line, which means Oregon's Oregon just has to win against Cal. They don't have to cover the 24 and a half point spread. They just have to win. You get 150 bucks. Not bad. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on, kick off the NFL season, and get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So continuing with Peyton's first question, is this the best recruiting class we've seen? I, I think that... That question has to play out on the field first. I mean, we saw Oregon's 2021 class be the highest rated in program history. Let me go down the list of names. Now, there are some really good players in that class. There are some really good players, but it it depends on how you're defining what a good class is. Is it one that looks the best on paper or one that performs the best on the field? We can't know the second one till we see how players' careers pan out. So the highest rate of recruit in that class was Kingsley Suamatia. Didn't play for Oregon. He's at BYU. Troy Franklin was the second highest rated recruit. Okay, he's he's worked out pretty well. <laughs> he's, things are going well on that front. Bram Walden, transferred. Dante Thornton, made an impact last year, but transferred. Ty Thompson, we know how that's gone. Keith Brown, two years as a rotational guy, hasn't played since. Avante Dickerson, never saw the field. Maliki Montevau was a good player before uh, transferring to UCLA, where he's having a really, really good season with Chip Kelly. Jackson Powers Johnson, stud. I mean, bona fide stud, All-American. Byron Cardwell, looked like he was a running back of the future till he wasn't. Damon David, hasn't done anything. Jabril McNeil, Jalen Davies. Davies transferred to UCLA, where he's a starting corner, good player. T. Ferg was in that class. Keanu Williams transferred to UCLA. Jeff Bossa was in that class. Jonathan Flo, Seven McGee, Terrell Tillman, Darren Barkins, Isaiah Bravard, and Brandon Buckner. So not a lot, though certainly some high-impact players. I think that on paper, this defensive class in 2024 is the best one I can remember. But at the same time, you got to wait and just see how their careers pan out, how they play on the field, whether or not they stay injury-free. Because, I mean, on the surface, I think the 2020 class would have been the best one defensively. The 2020 class had... 
Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, and Dante Manning. That's three five-star players headlining the class. Well, Justin Flo, we know, didn't work out the way we were hoping. Noah Sewell was absolutely awesome. And Dante Manning is just a guy. He's just a guy. So I think on paper, that one might have been even better. I love this class. I think there can be a lot of really good players. Who who those guys will be, time will tell. Time, time will absolutely tell. Uh, quick note on, on the Bears. So Oregon is a 24-point favorite against Cal, and I'll be talking about that game uh, a lot tomorrow on the show exclusively, as a matter of fact. But I just wanted to you know put this out there and give you an idea of what we're facing going into this game. This is not... I was going to say your your grandkids, California Golden Bears, but this is not your Justin Wilcox-led Cal Bears of five years ago. So he's been there for quite a while, not doing a great job, not doing a terrible job. It's just kind of, you know, middling results, but it's Cal, so their standards aren't super-duper high. So he's still there and signed an extension uh, ahead of last season and whatnot. So, you know, I think he'll be there as they transition into the ACC. I don't think Justin Wilcox is a bad coach. I just don't think he's great. But Oregon is minus 24 and a half. Why? Well, the Bears have lost three straight. And they've had a couple of close losses this season at home to USC and Auburn by a combined, uh, let's see, five points. So tough outcomes there to lose in front of your home fans like that. But they've lost three straight. And in, the, and in those three games, they've allowed... 45.3 points a game, including 34 at Utah, that place that Oregon just walked out of and allowed only six. Now, the Bears offensively this year drastically improved. It's, it's the opposite. It is, it is opposite season for Justin Wilcox's Cal team. They made a new hired offensive coordinator and a good one. Jake Spavadol was the one-time head coach at uh, Texas State. He was also formerly the OC at Cal. He's doing a great job. Their offense is averaging 32 points a game and 422 yards per. That's way above what they've been in years past. They've had a revolving door of quarterbacks. They've settled on Fernando Mendoza. Talk more about him on tomorrow's show, but he's been real solid. And the offense overall has been good, but the defense isn't there. I don't really know what's happened because that was such a huge part of their culture. They were always one good offense away from being a good team. And now they have a good offense. It's not great, but it's good. And they can't stop anybody. Not entirely certain. Maybe they just don't have the talent, but they've got some good players. You know, Jackson Sermon being hurt, that's a bummer for them, the stud middle linebacker. But that's why Oregon's a big favorite here, is I think the Ducks defense will have a good game because they've had a good game basically every week this season. And the offense is is humming. The offense is humming. 35 points on the road. Bo Nix didn't have to play the whole game against Utah. Cal gave up 34 points to the Bryson Barnes-led Utah Utes. This defense is vulnerable. This defense is really vulnerable. I'll be shocked if Cal holds Oregon under 40. Maybe the weather helps them. Maybe the weather helps them kind of hang around. I'll be surprised if Oregon is held under 40 points in this game, barring a torrential downpour. But as we know, it never rains at Autzen Stadium. Shout out to Don Essex. So let's close with a couple of uh, mailbag questions here. This is from Nathan. I'm looking forward to the battle of the Uyunglele brothers at the end of the season. For a while, I wasn't sure if DJU would even be leading the Beavs by the time some acronym that I don't know rolled around uh, and with their loss to Arizona. I'm not sure what might happen there. Mateo has been playing great and as expected, not getting huge playing time numbers or stats, but does have a sack 
with all these variables, what are the chances Mateo gets a sack on DJ in the Platypus Cup, Joey Harrington's preferred name? I prefer the Civil War personally. That's just me. Um, I, I don't need to go into that discussion, but I, I think the renaming of it is kind of ridiculous. Does little brother having big brother's number, he's talking about the Uyunglele's there, uh, from presumably countless pickup games as kids, or maybe that works the other way around. Certainly not a, quote, key to the game, but it'll be fun to see them play on the field together and actually facing off a point of interest at the very least. Thanks, as always, for putting out great shows. Go Ducks. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Cer- certainly possible. Here's, this, here's the struggle with that. Oregon State's offensive line is really good. Really, really good. Their center, Jake Levingood, is on Jackson Powers Johnson's level. Those are the two best centers in the Pac-12, bar none. And their left tackle, Josh Gray, is also quite good. And the rest of their O-line holds up very well. Will Mateo get a sack? I mean, I think he's got to get a little bit better. Right now, he reminds me of Thibodeau in that as a true freshman, he's got one pass rush move. And for him, it's that kind of hop, step, and accelerate to bend around the edge. He's got to develop a spin and a bull rush a little bit more to become a more well-rounded player. Right now, I'd say no, he probably doesn't. I think Oregon will get sacks against Oregon State. I don't know if Mateo will. Like, there's an element of randomness to that. I would lean towards no, because it's a good veteran offensive line, and Mateo is a young player. That's an area where I think a, a Brandon Dorless or you know linebackers or safeties blitzing are more likely to, to wreak havoc uh, on the Bees' backfield. Last one, and this uh, question is interesting to say the least. This from Mac Duck. Is Dante Moore going to transfer? transfer? And if he does, do the Ducks want him back? Well, don't know that he's going to transfer. I, I don't think that's a lock by any means. Possible, perhaps, perhaps. He's been benched because after earning the starting job as a true freshman, he threw a pick six in three straight games, and two of those games were losses, and one of them was almost a loss to Washington State. So I look at what you know he's done this year and say, I don't know that transferring is the right thing for him. And, and having seen where he is at as a true freshman, really talented kid, by the way, as we knew and as we still know, when he makes good throws, it's really good. He's really accurate, solid mobility. I think he could execute this Oregon offense at a really high level. He still makes a lot of freshman mistakes, and, and that has to be coached out of him. At that point in time, quite frankly, with what we've seen in limited action from Ty Thompson this year, I, I don't see why you'd go with Dante Moore over Ty. I don't know what Dante brings to the table that Ty doesn't. Ty has a big arm. Dante might be a little bit more accurate. Ty has a much bigger arm and Ty's a better runner. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm completely opposed, but if you bring him in, he's then going to undergo growing pains because UCLA is trying to get to the Pac-12 championship game. They technically have a path to getting there. And then at that point, you know, Dante Moore goes into next year with, you know, iffy confidence after getting benched with the struggles and the interceptions and he's going to have to go through those growing pains at some point in time. Maybe he corrects it in the offseason. But Ty Thompson's had more time in college football to be able to read defenses and make throws. So I, I don't think so. If you're going to get a transfer quarterback, it should be a guy who's going to plug and play and give you no doubts. Otherwise, develop one of the young guys, either Ty or Austin Novoset. 
Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.